old man sometimes too. Yeah, I'm getting there. Well, this has been a, a really interesting morning for me. Uh, not only did I, I enjoy our uh, 40 or so in Sunday school, but I in, enjoyed just a few minutes ago uh, seeing a whole row of my grandkids that showed up from Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, my gra- I'm, I'm looking at the platform here, and I noticed my granddaughter Amberley is singing with Wendy up here, and, and I'm clearing my eyes, and I, I turned to Matt, and I said, Matt, I might need a hanky before this is all over. Uh, this, is, this is a blessing. Uh, thank the Lord my son-in-law is here with my daughter Martha, Pete and Martha. I think, Pete, the last time you heard me preach was in, in uh, Grove City years and years ago when I came along and, and you were a teacher out there at the college. But you are my church family, and uh, you've been with me for a number of years, uh, so many of you, but there are a lot of you that uh, have not been here since I began. I think I came here in 2007. Some of you remember uh, Howard was here and he had a whole uh, bunch of uh, little chairs over there at the uh, high school uh, where we were for 19 years, 18 years, uh, Sun Valley High School. And uh, Howard, one day when we moved into the area from Chicago, just asked, Dad, would you like to sit with the grandkids in church? And I couldn't, couldn't say no to that. And today I'm with other grandkids in church this morning, which is, is so exciting to see. Uh, and we've got some plans afterwards, I, I, I hear as well. Uh, but this has been a blessing to be part of this church family since 2007. Uh, I don't know what I'd do without you. You're, you are my family, your family of God. You are the beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're my brothers and sisters. And so many of you uh, I'm, I'm getting to know anew. I think this, this congregation here has probably not even a handful of charter members, if you know what a charter member is. A charter member would have been somebody who helped begin this church years ago with Dean Faulkner and Harry Reid out of Christ's Covenant. So you have come from a very good place. And as a chaplain over the years, when people would ask me, uh, well, um, Mr. Cole, tell us a little bit about you and your faith. And, and where do you go to church? They'd always get to that question. And, and I would always say, I go to Church of the Redeemer. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say, because when you're saying that to other people, where you're going to church, you can say, I like my church. I really am going to a good place. And it's a place where the gospel is prioritized. You'll hear about Jesus. You'll be able to find your way to new hope in him if you don't know him or strength through the services and the people of God. And uh, I've been reminiscing a little bit this week as I am now. Uh, Wendy's been downsizing and I think we got about five boxes out of one of the closets and I'm getting letters to read and read this and read that. And some of you do that occasionally. She even got me some letters from a girlfriend I had in college and I'm reading her letters, you know, like, oh man, that girl liked me, but it didn't go anywhere. 
didn't go anywhere. Uh, Matt, you better hide those. Uh, but they, <laughs> they, they were there to read. But other letters uh, here and there. And uh, it's, it's been good to sort of reflect on how the Lord has blessed uh, our lives and also how he has blessed this church. So personally, as we've been here at this church for about 16 years as a family uh, and involved with the uh, Presbyterian Church in America through, through you as well, uh, there is a pastor friend of, of ours. Many of you know Harry Reeder, who now is with the Lord. But when Harry went to be with the Lord, some suggested that an oak has fallen. Uh, this man was a man who, who preached wonderfully when he preached you understood what he was saying uh he said what he meant and he meant what he said and he had this little expression mean what you say and say what you mean but don't be mean when you say it that's a harry reader uh phrase i like that i'm going to say it again mean what you say and say what you mean but don't be mean when you say it and when he said things uh, from the pulpit or even off the cuff sometimes in conversation, Harry, Harry would, would make a point, and it was very much like the introduction to this passage we're going to read in a moment, Psalm 133, where David says, Behold, I want you to look at this. And Harry, when he, when he said things, would, it would be like a behold moment. Hear what I say. He said other things, and these came from his son during his memorial service a few months ago. Um, His son brought these uh, little phrases out. Harry would say, pray, especially when you're sometimes confused about what's best next to do in your life. Harry would suggest, pray, Lord, help me to do the next best thing in the right way and for the right reason. Good wisdom. But that's a behold statement. Another behold statement. He said, always be on message, on mission, and in ministry. Matt came up this morning and let you all know one of the vision statements of our church. We have the four G's. We gather. We want to ground people in Christ, help them to grow in Christ, and then to go. I'd like to add one more G. We don't have to do this necessarily this morning, but... For the glory of God, we do these things. Ultimately, catechism question, shorter catechism question number one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, which we're doing this morning as we worship in spirit and in truth. Here's Harry getting a little bit crazy, but it's still kind of on track. And he doesn't say it in a mean way. He says, reading your Bible on your phone is like kissing your wife through a screen door. (laughs) Really? Yes, really, John. Never kissed my wife through a screen door before. But anyway, Harry said that. Um, Pack your Bible, I guess he was telling everybody to do on Sunday mornings. And then... I love this. He said, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to get to heaven, but why take a chance? (laughs) Why take a chance? (laughs) Enough of that. Okay. Um, I'm going to read these scriptures as we, I'm beginning to preach now. Okay. In case you were wondering, when is this guy going to come to the word of God? Let's take our Bibles, if you have it, or your phones. Um, Take your scriptures and turn to Psalm 133. 
Now here is the first psalm of Psalm 133 is the first psalm that is a while it's a, a psalm of ascent. These are the songs that the people of God would sing when they were on their way to Jerusalem several times a year uh, for celebration and worship. As they sang this together, they said, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like, another metaphor, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And the last verse of Psalm 134 says this, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Very much like the last verse in Psalm 133. Now the New Testament passage that I'd like you to turn to is from Ephesians. And this is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And what it emphasizes, and it's the only other time we see the word unity, at least in a King James Bible, it's the last time we see this word unity. It's mentioned twice here in Psalm 133 and here in Ephesians 4. Reading from verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, of the calling to which, rather urge you to walk in a worthy manner of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now in that passage, it's, it's important to see and we'll look at this just briefly, that when Paul talks about unity, he says to the church, you already have this. You have unity. If you're, you're a believer and you've trusted in Christ, if you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, you have that. It's not something that you have to go out and figure out, man, do I or don't I? You do have unity. Paul affirms that. But the way to maintain unity in the first three verses is, is outlined by Paul. And he's, he says, maintain unity with humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul argues, you have it, maintain it. Practice it, live it out. Now, as we open up to the particular passage this morning, Psalms 133, we're going to look at how David understands this whole idea of the unity of God's people. Uh, David wrote four of these Psalms of Ascent. Uh, 122, 
holy things in the tabernacle that were sprinkled with it. But this guy got more than a sprinkling. He didn't get a dab on the head. He got a good pouring uh, of this oil. And in the scriptures, the uh, particular passages that talk about this this precious and perfumed oil are in like Exodus chapter 30. And you have almost a full chapter of the Old Testament where the, the prescription for this oil is given. And if anybody else tried to make this perfumed oil for the purpose of whatever they wanted to make it for, other than ordination or the anointing of a priest, particularly a high priest, you were cut off from the covenant of God. So, so this was a pretty serious thing when it came to making the so-called holy oil. And it had a fragrance that permeated some distance. If, if a drop of this were perhaps just put up here on the pulpit, you'd know it pretty soon. So the high priest, when he was doused with a, a tank of this stuff, just about, uh, there was this wonderful, perfumed, aromatic smell that emanated as he was being anointed with this holy oil. Now, smell is one of those things that God has given us. And um, I remember I used to sit next to a chicken farmer here at church who's no longer here. And, and he had to feed the chickens real early in the morning and he had a real long beard. And <laughs> I could smell him. And I know what a chicken farm smells like because I used to work in chicken barns once upon a time. I was a farm boy years ago. And there are certain smells you just don't forget. Uh, if you're driving down the road and you smell that skunk that somebody hit, you don't know where it is, you haven't seen it yet, it might be in front of you, it may have just gone behind you, it's in the woods, but your, your, your nose has the capacity to pick up smells. Good smells, not so good smells. When we eat, we, you know, when I had COVID, like many of you who've had it, well, when you lose your sense of smell, that, that boiled egg in the morning, it's like chalk. It's not fun eating that. And some folks are saying, Dave, you've lost some weight. Well, I started losing weight, weight back in January of 2020 when I got COVID. I just wasn't interested in a whole lot of food. And um, I'm getting all of that back finally. But that sense that the Lord has given us, and David in this metaphor is, is going, going to the point very quickly this, this picture of the anointing of Aaron was pretty significant in terms of what happened to him with the anointing of the oil. He was marked out as a holy priest for the work of God. And he was also in the presence of people who could smell him. And he smelled good. The other night... Um, Back Tuesday, I, I don't know, I just didn't sleep well and I was smelling something. I woke up in the middle of the night and you know what you do, you put your head under the covers, but when I put my head under the covers, it was just terrible. The smell was worse. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking, is that me? <laughs> and I'm not wearing a diaper yet, folks. I'm old, but I'm not there. That's not me. And uh, <clears throat> quit smiling, Blair. It's okay. I know it. John, I'm glad you're here to do my amens for me. Uh, anyway, 
a couple of days later, the smell was really there. And I've got this cat. I really love my cat. But my cat has marked my bed as its, I guess, new place to uh, maybe enjoy a little time and also <laughs> marked out for uh, maybe a bonding with me. I don't know what the cat's up to. But the cat, the cat did this three times this week. That cat's not in the house today. That cat is outside. And you know that smell if you have that animal. Uh, it's not one of those smells that goes away real easy. And here in, in this passage, here, here is what David says. When brothers dwell together in unity, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, like, like that. That's what's happening. And, and man, if you have a beard, <laughs> do you want that running down through your beard? You know, uh, Do you want it running all the way down your robes to your toes, more or less? And the point of D- David's example here, by way of metaphor, is that when this priest, Aaron, and Moses is the one that anointed him. When he's anointed, this oil just covers him. And this is sort of a picture, I believe, in the scripture of when we are coming into contact with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not only coming upon us, but he's coming to live within our hearts. And we are not only becoming priests unto God ourselves. And Peter calls us that. We're wholly anointed by the work of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, changes our attitudes, changes the way we smell spiritually. And it's, it's a picture of God's special anointing. I believe more so even than when the high priest was anointed. Then you understand that if you're trusting Christ this morning, you are a priest in Christ. We're called kings and priests, Revelation 1.6. That's who you are. That's your identity. If you have union with Christ, you have his Holy Spirit. Now, I won't emphasize much more here other than to say that this was an exclusive blend of ingredients um, Exodus 30, 22 through 33. It was extensive. It was poured on the head and went all the way to the feet. We don't just get part of the Holy Spirit when we become believers. We get the whole of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, look, you guys, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but soon he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you another comforter of the same kind that I have been to you, and he will dwell in you. He will dwell in you. No oil, no anointing. Uh, This is just a wonderful picture, as David reveals it to us, of what it's like to be indwelt by not only the Holy Spirit, but to have unity with the Lord Jesus Christ as his priest. I can't emphasize this morning enough the priesthood of the believer. Uh, this, this would take another sermon, but we are his priests. We have union with Christ. 
We have been oiled up real well with not 10W40, but with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And we have been blessed well with His coming upon us and in us. Now here Adam would tell a story. So let me tell a story and before we go to the next point. Matt, don't laugh. I'm second grade. My, my mother's pregnant. I have a younger sister uh, and a younger brother. There's, there's three of us and almost four of us. And I don't know why I did it, but I went to my mother's dresser one day, and my mother loved perfume. My dad was a Navy pilot, and wherever he flew, if it was overseas or whatever, he'd buy her perfume. He must have liked uh, my mother to smell well, <laughs> smell good. And, and I'm not a real perfume guy, and Wendy isn't a real, my wife is a real big perfume girl. But we don't need that uh, necessarily, as maybe some of us want it, but... My mother had all this perfume on her dresser, and I don't know why I did it, and seven-year-olds can't always give you a reason why, but one by one, I took the perfume, and I took one bottle after the other and poured it into the toilet in the bathroom. Went back and got another one, poured the perfume into the toilet. Now, maybe I was trying to improve upon the bathroom smell. I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And, of course, my mother went into a rage. I couldn't understand exactly why, but she gathered the three of us children and sat us on a bed, and she wanted to know who did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not telling. And I was a pretty good liar by the time I was in second grade. Uh, <clears throat> and I didn't say a word. But we all got, um, we all got punished, let me put it that way. Years later, this was, this was something I lived with all of my life. I never confessed to my mother. And I'm in my, probably my 40s, maybe even my 50s, and I said, Mom, do you remember when we lived in Newport, Rhode Island, and, and somebody took all your perfume and poured it in the toilet? My mother looked at me, and she said, No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> and I said, Well, I did it. And she just said, well, I just don't remember that. And I wanted forgiveness, all right? But how can you forgive somebody when you don't remember what they did to sin against you? But all those years, I had that, that guilt. And isn't it wonderful to know that if you have Christ, as He has justified you through faith, then remember some of that stuff. Won't remember some of that, any of that stuff as we stand blameless before him when it comes to that day of accountability and judgment. That's my story, and I'm going to stick to it. Uh, don't let your goodness and pleasantness go to waste. You are the true temple of the Holy Spirit. John Piper calls this kind of unity the church's perfume. Um, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, an aroma to those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing to want a fragrance, from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. We are a fragrance. How do you smell? 
when you're in that holy huddle with others? How do you smell? All right, that's one of my takeaways. If you you have that uh, on your bulletin, think about that. How do we truly smell to others? Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the into the presence or to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then Revelation 1, 6 said of us to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins through his blood and made us a kingdom of priests unto God. Before we go to the mountain, I got to quote one more guy and that's Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, and this was at the end really the bottom point in his own spiritual life when the downgrade controversy uh, in his denomination was really taking the unity of God's people away. Spurgeon said, Unity, oh, for more of this rare virtue, not the love that comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together, Not that which is all for debate and differing, but that which dwells together in unity. Now, I I have seen, and and you've seen this, uh, there's certain types of unity that that exist, even within the church, even within families. But do you remember when, when Samson was really trying to war heavily against the Philistines. The guy catches 300 foxes. Uh, You know what a fox is, right? They have long tails and they are more than a dog. And he decided to tie their tails together and they had unity, right? And then he lit them on fire, torched their tails, and they ran into the cornfields and wheat fields of the Philistines and destroyed their crops, Now, I want to say just briefly that there are some relationships where there's unity, but it is not the kind of unity you want to have. Uh, I don't want to be tied to someone else at the wrong end and not have uh, a whole lot of peace and serenity and be running around like I'm in a field like crazy foxes. But that's how some unity looks. It's not the kind of unity that we see here in the scripture. It's ultimately unity that comes with our spirit togetherness in Christ as we're bound by the Holy Spirit and we have union with Christ. Okay, now to the mountain. Mount Hermon stands at about 9,000 feet, 232 feet, and it's one of those snow-capped mountains. It's north of Jerusalem, Um, well over 225 miles. But what is said about the mountain here is that it's like the dew of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon has dew, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mountain dew is a drink, right? We, some of you, do you like Mountain Dew, some of you? I'm not a big Mountain Dew fan, but some of you do. They're okay. 
Jason, it's a family thing, it sounds like. Well, I can drink it, but it's not one of my favorite. But this Mountain Dew is, is Mountain Dew that is excessive, and it spreads through the Valley of Jordan. It comes off this mountain that's so many feet high, and it is like the, the oil that spreads from the top of Aaron's head and goes to his feet. It spreads a great distance to make things fruitful below it. No Mount Hermon, no Lake of Galilee, essentially, or no Jordan River. It, it feeds and, and makes things lush far beyond it. And I just want to say a bit about the idea here that David, I think, is, is impressed with. The unity of God's people is not something that just happens in an isolated spot. We have unity in our little clique, or we have unity in our little whatever. Um, he's saying essentially that the unity that God's people have is like the dew of Mount Hermon that is, is far-reaching in its effect, and it makes things beyond itself fruitful. And the, the question I just have, and it's a question that Matt kind of sat on a little bit in Sunday school today. Are we witnessing with a love for those we speak to about Christ? Are we, are we sort of trying to live the Christian life with ingrown eyeballs, or are we going outward toward the lost? And sometimes it's just hard to be a witness for the Lord. It's not something we always do, oh, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to I'm going to be on fire for Jesus. I'm going to be like Matt Harris. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. You know, I'm, I'm really geared up uh, to do this thing. Well, we all know as believers that sometimes we need to hear Paul's admonition. Don't become weary in well-doing. Keep doing what the Lord wants you to do, and the Lord will sustain you. He will strengthen you for what's best next in your Christian life. But sometimes I just get tired and weary of my witnessing. Some of you are, are uh, into motorsports, and I went to high school with a guy named Al Holbert. He, he won the Le Mans three times in the 80s. Al was quite the racer, but I never knew he'd be that. He worked with his dad at a Porsche, um, uh, sort, sort of a franchise in my little town of uh, Warrington, Pennsylvania. But it wasn't long after he got out of college that he started racing these crazy fast automobiles. And I met him in 1978. I came back into the area and I was pastoring a church a few miles away from uh, my home in Warrington where I grew up for a few years. And I went to see him because I wanted to see if he ever changed and heard my witness when I was a teenager. When we worked out together and trying to build muscles and we were just good friends. But I never really said much about the Lord, maybe as much as I could have. And I went back to see him and uh, here he was at the dealership, he had a beautiful office. I didn't know anything about his racing history at that time. But I asked him, so is it well with your soul? And he looked at me and he said, Dave, if you're asking me if I'm born again, I am. <laughs> and I said, you know the Lord. And, and uh, he was always known as the born again race car driver. And some of you guys that know that history uh, understand that about him. He was 
he was on fire for the Lord, not just on fire when he was racing down racetracks. But Mount Hermon has this, this picture of a far-reaching flow of, of grace that comes as we witness, like the dew of Mount Hermon. And then last of all, and I won't belabor this because we're about at that time when I need to move on to other things with our worship service. Hebrews chapter 12, 18 through 24 is one of the best expositions in the Bible about Mount Zion. You remember when Jesus was sitting with the woman at the well, they were talking about mountains. Well, I like my mountain, you like your mountain. She liked Mount Gerizim. That's where the Samaritans worshipped. And she said to Jesus, and you've got your mountain. You worship at Mount Zion or in the city of Jerusalem at the temple. So they got into a little worship war conversation. And finally, she just ends the conversation, or she tries to end the conversation with Jesus by saying, you know what, someday the Messiah is going to come and he's going to straighten us all out theologically. And um, <laughs> what does Jesus say? I to whom you are speaking, I am him. I am the Messiah. And then the lights really went on. And then she went to share her faith and witness to those in Samaria. And Jesus stayed in that uh, city for a few days and he witnessed as well and there was a small group of folks that came to know the Lord through her testimony and it all began kind of talking about mountains and talking about cities that mountains represented but here it says this in Hebrews 12 18 through 24 about Mount Zion and this is what I'd like to emphasize as we close today For you are not come unto the mount. That's Mount Sinai. You haven't come to Moses' mountain. You haven't come to Mount Sinai that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which that they heard it, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come to Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Amen. I'm going to pray. Matt's giving me that signal. And as I pray, let's reflect just for a moment on the goodness of God as we are about to take the Lord's Supper. Lord, we remember that it has been said in Scripture, I speak as 
To wise men judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we all are partakers of that one bread. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love.